um, verses 36 to 50. Luke chapter 7, 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began saying among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is it. Part 5, the concluding message of our series, um, The Sinner's Dinner Party. We've been in this passage for several weeks now, and I hope it's, it's changing the way you look at the world, how, how you see yourself, and how you look at the church. How you look at church. What is happening in church? I've entitled today's message, Welcoming Sinners to Jesus for Jesus. I know that that sounds a little funny. Welcoming Jesus, sinners to Jesus for Jesus. And I hope that as I teach, it will become clear why I, I, I title the message this way. In three parts. Part one, welcoming sinners, welcoming Jesus. Welcoming sinners, welcoming Jesus. Part two, persevering faithfulness. Perseverance is not something we talk about much. And we're not very good at it in our culture and in this generation. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about persevering faithfulness. And part three, a new heart disposition. The new heart disposition. Now to start this message, uh, 
Jesus, I, I, she, he says to her, he says to Simon, you see this woman? You didn't wash my feet. You didn't wash my feet, and yet she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't kiss me. Where's the kiss? And, and you didn't give me any ointment or any fragrance. And I, and I taught you last week that each of these pieces were the, they were the common courteous forms of welcome. What is Jesus saying to Simon is, in, in real ways, you didn't really welcome me. You didn't really receive me. You didn't really welcome me. If you're going to have somebody over to your house, these would be the ways to show respect, to show honor, to show welcome, to embrace, have someone come in, so to have their feet would be washed, to give them a kiss, to give them some fragrance as they have now to refresh themselves after coming to a dusty road. And this is what he says to Simon. <laughs> you didn't do any of these things. You did throw me a party. You threw me a dinner party. You had me over for dinner. And, but you didn't welcome me. And I said to you last week that there, here's this woman. She shows up and he says to her, you may have thrown the dinner party, but she's the one who welcomed me. In fact, she more than welcomed. And I talked about this last week. That's very often the reason we don't welcome, really have Jesus, because we think about Jesus as just a part of our life. Oh, he's just one of many things that we do. And that's very much often the way we look at church. Most, so many of you, you look at church primarily as a religious institution. It's a piece of something that you do. It's a, it's a piece of your life. It's, it's, it's something that happens in your life. You go and do this thing. And, and that's, that's part of my Christianity. That's the thing that I do. I, I believe in the Jesus stuff. And that's the thing that I do. And it's a, it's a part of my life. And I'm challenging you, and I've been challenging you for the fifth week now, that when you're looking at this passage, we're looking at church. We're looking at what church often is, but the way it should be. And that church is often thrown by the proper people with the right theology and the right education, and we look clean on, on the outside, but then we welcome Jesus. <laughs> we so-called welcome Jesus, but I can't help but think that this is what Jesus would say to us. Well, <laughs> you didn't wash my feet, and where was my kiss? And where is uh, some fragrance to refresh me as I come in to the room? This is church, guys. Church is not fundamentally so much a, 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 a building or an institution or an organization or some piece of religion that you do. Church is the house of God. It is the very place where God goes. I live there. I dwell there. This is where I come. And when we proclaim Jesus Christ, he is God in the flesh, what are we expecting to happen in church? Church is the very house where Jesus is met. Jesus is encountered. And when we show up, it's, it's, we have all these habits. I mean, it's hard. We have all these very habits. And we're very much like Simon. Now, I would like to say, I want to say, what does it look like to welcome Jesus? I talked about this last week. To welcome Jesus is first to have the heart. Jesus, you're not a part of my life. You are my life. That's how she, that's the difference. Simon says, you're just a part of my life. I'll let you into my life. I'll have this dinner party for you. I'll carve out some time. I'll make an appointment with you. But actually, she's saying, you're not just a part of my life. You are my life. <laughs> I'll get, this, this, this alabaster flask, I mean, 
It cost her to, to receive Jesus. You are my life. That's one thing I said to you last week. But I want to say to you something a little different to you this week as, as I culminate this series. What does it look like? What does it mean to welcome Jesus? And in order to get at that, I want to show you a, a different passage. A different passage where Jesus talks about welcoming, receiving Him. It's actually a very challenging passage. I actually consider this one of the most frightening and difficult passages in all of the scriptures. And Jesus gives it in Matthew chapter 25, and it's in the context of judgment. So there's going to be a time, all of us, every single person, Christian, non-Christian, the person who's not even sure if he's a Christian, the person who's so darn confident he's a Christian, but may not be. All of us will meet Jesus. And Jesus is going to say, did you receive me? And he tells a story in Matthew chapter 25. This is verses 31 through 40. The whole passage is verses 31 to 46. I'm just going to read verses 31 to 40. This is what he says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. So, you know, we haven't seen that yet. So this is future tense. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. See it? Every nation. All the tribes. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. See what's going on? It's a very, very momentous event. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come. You are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. I mean, this is the whole kingdom. So much of us are, are preoccupied with the kingdom of the me. <laughs> the kingdom about me. The kingdom of the bling bling. The, cling, the kingdom of now. But he's going to say to these people, Welcome the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And then he's going to say this, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink. And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, and who's the king? Come on, we all know who the king is. It's Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus will say to them, and this is what he'll say. This is the part I want you to get. Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of least of these, my brothers, you did this to me. You did this to me. I have been challenging and calling forth our church and casting forth a vision, which I believe is utterly scriptural, which comes from the core of the gospel, which we see in this Luke chapter 7. A, a, a text which I hope will profoundly shape the way you think about church and especially our church. And I know it's more dream than reality at this time. 
we, <laughs> the reality is, actually, we're a lot of Simons. And it looks very much like a Pharisee's dinner party. And Jesus could very well say to us, where's my kiss? And we would say something like this, when did Jesus ever show up in this room? What does it look like to throw a dinner party for Jesus? It's very odd the way Jesus puts it. He's saying, when somebody shows up and they're hurting, and if they're poor, and if they're wretched, and if they're ashamed. And you know, there's lots of different kinds of sickness. You go to a hospital, and if a person has cancer, it's obvious. They got tubes in their body, they got a little beep, 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 beep thing, machine. And if you watch enough TV and movies, you know, oh man, that's bad. You know that's bad. But do you have eyes to see when someone shows up in the room? Their face looks downcast. They don't know how to open up. And they're in a prison of loneliness. And they have a, they have a shadow that's constantly over them, a shadow cast over them of pessimism. And they are in a sickness of loneliness and pessimism and depression. Can you see that? Can you see that? And those people come to church. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you. Or the, the, the person who put on the, puts on the happy face, but inside them they are sick and they are naked and they need to be clothed. They need to be clothed with encouragement. They need to be clothed with welcome. And so many of us, this thing, to throw the dinner party, <laughs> to welcome Jesus this is what it looks like to Jesus. So this is really interesting. Jesus, so many of you are like, Jesus, when I think of Jesus, he's God, so he's up there, and he's, he, he's Jesus, he's God, right? I mean, he's resurrected, and he's up there, and he's reigning from on high. That's true. But actually, when the Bible's saying, Jesus is God in the flesh, and if God can show himself to us, he can really say, this is me, you know what it looks like? It's Jesus. <laughs> I'll be a poor carpenter. I'll be rejected. I like to eat with dirty people, poor people, hurting people, ashamed people, ashamed and wrecked people. They like to hang out with me. They like me (laughs) because I like to be one of them. That's God. The church. And then Jesus one-ups it. On Judgment Day, they say, do you want to welcome me? Do you want to welcome me? So, so many of us think that if, if Jesus were to walk in the room, we would pick him up, we would recognize him. I'm not so sure about that. Here, here's Simon. This guy has good theology. He studied his Bible. He grew up in church. In his case, synagogue. He's a good boy. Good education. He, he's put his life together. God showed up at his house. He didn't know it. The Messiah is in his living room and he doesn't even know how to give him the most basic piece of welcome and courtesy. And I I can't help it, but think this is too often the church. But what does it look like to welcome Jesus according to Jesus from the mouth of Jesus? 
You want to welcome me? Then throw the sinner's dinner party. I'm going to show up. I'm going to look pretty broken. And when you welcome that person, you're welcoming me. You're loving me. That's what it looks like. That's, that's how deep Jesus wants us to identify. That's, see him in these people. And whether they wear nice, whether they wear nice clothes from nice, some nice department store or not, this is what welcoming Jesus looks like. Welcoming sinners, welcoming Jesus to Jesus is the same thing. Now look, let me stop for a second. Wow, that's, wow. <laughs> you read Matthew 25 and go, are you kidding? By the way, just, just, it's just a bonus. I read Matthew chapter 25 and I know that's from God. I know that that means the Bible is God's word. You, you're never going to read that anywhere else. You never read that in any other book. Right? Secular, any other religion, you read Matthew chapter 25, you know this book is from God. Oh my gosh. This must be from God. Right. Now look, I, to start this welcoming sinners, that's, and in so many ways, five sermons, so I can say, let's be a church that welcomes sinners. Let's be a church where we just peel off the Pharisee cloak and let's admit that we are kind of sucky Pharisees and broken prostitutes, and let's welcome sinners. But it's welcoming Jesus. I know this is hard. Let me just put it out there. It's hard. This is really hard. That's why most churches aren't like this, right? <laughs> Come on. I'm not saying let's be super church. I'm just actually saying let's be actually real biblical church. Actually, that's what I'm saying. And just, just uh, there's a lot of reasons why it's hard, but let me just, just hit five, just quick. Okay? Reason number one. Sinners are other people. They're not nice people. It's America. We shop for everything. We shop for church. You know how we shop? We like the things that, we, that fit us. That's why some of you shop at Target, because it fits you. Some of you shop at Macy's. It fits you. Some of you got a little more money. You shop at Nordstrom's. Great. It fits you. That's how we pick church too. But actually, you know what church you should pick? The place full of sinners. That really fits you. <laughs> really fits you. But that's not how we think. We think like a Pharisee. The consumer Pharisee of America shopping for church. Sinners are other people, not nice people. It's just hard being around sinners. Number two, we're afraid of others. We're afraid of rejection. Let me tell you something. Everybody's afraid. They're all sinners. They're all afraid. Give them welcome. Give them welcome. It's funny. They might still reject you. Give them welcome. We're afraid. Number three, we're just afraid of change. If, you, if we allow sinners to come into our life, that means our life will change. We like to set our life up. We like to build our kingdom and make it comfortable. We're busy building our kingdoms. But actually, to let Jesus be king 
to be a part of his kingdom, it requires some change. Gosh, it's uncomfortable. Ugh, change. I just don't want change. Number four, it's costly. It's costly in terms of our time, of our money, and of our energy. I mean, church costs. Throwing event, I mean, our, our sister Amy t- spends energy to, to have this event last night. It just costs. Energy and time, it costs. And it's costly. We all want a really good deal. We want to pay little and get a lot. And so we're all good at all that. Pay little, get a lot. Actually, the way of the gospel is actually give a lot. And then you get way more than you ever thought you'd get back. It's actually strange. You give a lot, sometimes painfully a lot. We have to learn that actually what you'll get back is way more than you ever thought. But it's hard. Sinners are other people, not nice people like us. We're afraid of others and of them rejecting us. We're afraid of change. We don't want change. It's costly. Money, time, and energy. And the fifth one that I particularly just want to um, just hit on. Okay, pastor. You're hammering this. I've been listening to you. I'll try it. I love, I'll try to welcome sinners because it's welcoming Jesus. So then you reach out and you welcome sinners into your life, into the church, into our fellowship, into our community. And then what do they do? They bite you. (laughs) Wouldn't it just be nice? Hey, you're a broken down sinner. Let me wash your feet. Thank you so much. My feet have been dirty for years. Thank you, nice Christian person who loves Jesus. I'm so grateful to you for having loved me. Is that what happens? You know, they're like, hey, you, jerk. They bite you. They hurt you. How about just your brothers and sisters who are supposed to love you? They let you down. They're sinners too. The people at church, they bite you. They hurt you. They let you down. So, uh, who wants to throw that dinner party? That's thankless. You're, you're the super Christian. Okay, I just got spat on for washing that person's feet. I'll do it a second time. Okay, and after about ten times of being spat on, that's enough of this. Screw this. And then what do we do? Let's go back to manageable religion. Manageable church get all my ducks aligned up, and then we go back to churchianity, sucky church, man-made church. Not God's church where Jesus shows up. Right? Welcoming sinners, welcoming Jesus, it's hard. Right? But a big part of it is, who are you, who are you doing this for? See, this is this your eyes see from the outside. You see all these people. You see all these people that are going to let you down. <laughs> but actually, when you see them, do you see him? Do you see Jesus? Some of you are sitting there going, oh, I'll just see the strange room. I see this, you know, like, you know the, the, all the usual stuff that I see in this room. 
is Jesus actually in this room? I don't know if my faith is that good. Maybe he's actually in this room. If broken down sinners are in this room and Jesus is proclaimed and we're having a dinner party for him, he's in the room. Can you see him? Will you welcome him? And on that day, that Matthew 25 day, and Jesus looks at you. He says, oh, the kingdom that was prepared for you. You knew you were broken. And you welcomed broken people the way I broke, welcomed you. See, so that's believing the gospel. Really believing the gospel. Part two. Persevering faithfulness. Perseverance. That's not a virtue we talk a lot about. Is it? Faithfulness. So many of you, us, me too, these are words we don't like. Pastor, if we do all that stuff you said, it'll become like work. It'll be like work. Because you embrace a person, then they spit on you, then you don't actually really want to wash their feet again. So then you just do it because you have to do it. And then it becomes work. And then it becomes obligation and duty, right? Those are the words we hate. Work, obligation, duty. I just want to feel it, pastor. So when I show up at church and just, oh, it's for Jesus. I just want to feel it. And so that, like, even though it's hard to do, I mean, let me just tell you something. Washing someone's feet, it sucks. Is it work? It's work. (laughs) Washing someone's feet who spits on you. I'm just using that. Hopefully you understand that metaphorically. Or lets you down or is utterly thankless. Yes, it'll feel like obligation. It'll feel like duty. It will not be fun. It's not going to go, ooh. You're going to sit there going, I'm just washing Jesus' feet. Thanks, Jesus, jerk. You sure look a lot like filling the name of the person at church that really ticks you off. (laughs) Right? Jesus, you... I thought you were a lot nicer than this person, but if you're really this person, it's going to feel like work. Work. Obligation. Duty. Let me just just push back a little. There is this notion in our culture that if, if if, if we really care about it, we'll always just love doing it. Come on. It's just BS. I don't know where this idea comes from. Is this romantic, idealistic notion that 14-year-olds believe because they watch these movies, the rom-com, and I just love her, and so I'm always just going to want to th- have this, you know, to throw their, the most romantic birthday, you know, dinner or something like this. Let me, <laughs> so, a mom. We don't call it work and obligation, but the mom who wakes up at 2 a.m. because her baby is crying. I'm sure she's going, oh, I just love him. I just love you, dear. I'm just going to just wake up in the middle of the night. I'm just sleep deprived for three weeks. And, you know, just why don't you just... And, she, and he bites her breasts. It's like, ouch. She has like swat him on the, on the bottom. I'm sure she just loves doing this, right? Um, some of you young moms, um, I don't want to hopefully in any way discourage you, it's not over when they're like a year or two or when you stop breastfeeding. There'll be a night when they're like nine years old and they're going to cry in the middle of the night. Your child will cry in the middle of the night because they're 
diarrhea or constipated. And your idiot husband will not wake up because he doesn't hear the cry. <laughs> okay? He just won't hear it. And, she, and it's not because he's a bad father. He just doesn't hear it, okay? And you will. And you're not going to go, oh, I just love you. I'm just going to love Jesus by loving you. Is that what you're going to feel? No. <laughs> but you're going to go. And you're going to comfort your son. And you're going to sit him on the can while he cries with his diarrhea. It's not fun. But why are you doing it? Because you love your son. You persevere. You do it day in, day out. I know plenty of men that go to a job that they hate, that sucks the life out of them. A boss that they resent. They do it for their wife, for their son, for their daughter. I'm asking you, who do you do these things for? See? If you really do it for Jesus, you can persevere. So that's the real secret. It's the secret of following Jesus. And perseverance is powerful. People who welcome sinners and welcome Jesus and persevere, the world will take note. They'll sit up and go, what, what, what? (laughs) This is weird. They're not like every other person I know who quits, who cuts out because they just ain't feel it anymore. This is better than a rom-com. This is something else. There's something more. So when you're doing this, are you welcoming Jesus, not just cleaning your child's poo or washing your brother's feet, even when they're biting you. See, when it's Jesus, you can persevere. See, this is the mom perseveres, the dad perseveres. No? Uh, my wife just had her, her, you know, her 40th birthday, okay? My wife is 40. Okay? She, she, she doesn't really care okay? um, because she's very secure and godly. Okay? <laughs> but um, So I'm not really good at doing this stuff for her, but am I going to go, oh, it's work, obligation. I need to take her on a date. Say, I love you, dear. Happy birthday, 40 birth, 40. I'm really not good at these things. But you know why I do it? Because I love her. That's it. Simple. Probably won't do it very well. (laughs) See, Jesus, even when you don't do it very well, he knows you did it for him. That's perseverance. I don't consider it a badge of honor to persevere to love my wife. I just love my wife. But when you love her, you persevere. To throw the dinner party for Jesus... For Jesus, there's the secret of perseverance. Let me close out this message. A new heart disposition. I have many conversations with a number of you. Some of you let me in about your spiritual life or where you're struggling and where you're at. You transmit and I receive. You know, you guys, you know you're transmitting all the time. 
You're never sure if the other person is actually receiving. You say various different things. Stuff comes out of your mouth, out of your face, out of your body language. You're transmitting a lot about what you're thinking about God, about who you think you are. Some of you are very much trying to put on the Pharisee's coat. I'm like, you ain't fooling me. <laughs> All right? But, but there is something that many of you regularly transmit. You may not even know that you're transmitting this. I, here's what I receive. You transmit much? Here's what I receive. You don't exactly say these words, and you don't say it quite this way, but I hear this regularly from you. I see this regularly from you. Here's a question. It's this. Pastor, how can I really deeply change in me? See, I I don't have perseverance. And I don't want to wash people's feet. And I am the guy that washed a person's feet twice. And as soon as they bite me once, I was like, that's enough of this. And then I go into the corner, and then I'll brood, and I'll wonder why Jesus is far from me. That is me. How can I deeply change? What you're looking for is the deep heart transformation, deep heart new disposition. Say, disposition is a fancy word saying the habits of what you do from out of your heart. If you're a person who's naturally pessimistic, Show up, uh, this person will never be my friend. I, never, I don't even like this person. This person will be really nice, and tomorrow they'll be a jerk. Ah. Okay? That's, that's you. That kind of pessimistic, that's, that's your disposition. <laughs> that's, who you, that's what comes out of you regularly. But actually, some of you long to have a disposition. I want to be like her, and welcome people like her, and welcome Jesus from my heart. I want that disposition. I got no tricks, but I'll tell you how I do it, how I persevere. I'm not the best at it, because C minus perseverer, okay? But I do persevere. How do I persevere? I'll give you three people that have influenced me, and then I'll give you a quote. We'll close out this message, okay? First person influenced me is my mom. Some of you have already heard this before, but hopefully maybe it'll help you. Some of you know that um, my family, um, the family business is care homes for the elderly. And for many years, my mom ran a care home for the elderly in East San Jose, and a number of the people she cared for were poor, mentally ill. They weren't even just elderly, they were mentally ill. And over the years, I watched my mom tirelessly, in some cases, literally wash people's feet. And I watched them cuss at her, call her racist names. She withholds their cigarettes. Racism just like spills out of their mouth. (laughs) And then she was like, you better knock that off. (laughs) I'll kick you out of here. Don't don't mess with the Korean lady. (laughs) Then she turns around and gives them the greatest kindness that she could give. I've watched her do this day in, day out. I mean, we lived there. I actually watched her. And I could tell you so many stories, but I'll just tell you one. There was one lady that just really just, just gives you an idea of what my mom did. She had schizophrenia. When my mom first got this business and we moved there, this lady never showered. I mean, she stank. 
awful. My brother and I just avoid her. <laughs> we just avoid her. It's like she'd come down, we'd see her walking down, we're like, ooh, get away. Just, just She had an aura of stench. It was horrible. She didn't shower. She wasn't old. She was blonde. She actually still had her blonde hair. She was probably quite pretty when she was young, actually. And these just streaks of nasty grease. And my mom said that she only ate hot dogs and bread. She didn't touch a vegetable. And over time, my mom would give her this tough love, super kindness, tough love and super kindness. And over time, my mom would say, yeah, now I can stick a, a piece of lettuce next to her hot dog, and she eats the lettuce. And now she showers. And over time, this almost animalish, angry person started turning into a woman. Not perfect, but you could actually start to see it. It took years. I asked my mom about this once, talking to her. And she says, you know, this, this business that we do, it's very hard. I mean, she didn't pick, I just love doing this business to support the family. And she says, actually, um, but there are times that I like when I do this to these poor people, hurting people. And then I watch them change before me. It makes me happy. And I know my Lord is happy. That's one of the things why I do it. I remember this conversation like yesterday. It's part of the secret. One of the most influential people to me is Beth Kidd. I've told some of you told about her. I named my daughter after her. Elizabeth is named after Beth Kidd. She runs a ministry called Place of Promise in inner city Boston. She loves multiply injured persons. Multiply injured means I have AIDS. I'm a heroin addict. I just came out of prison. Slept around with a bunch of dudes. Heroin tracks up my arms. That's multiply injured. She lets them come out of prison. She shares them with the gospel. They lie, lie, lie to her. Bite, bite, bite her. Sometimes quite literally. She springs them out of prison again after they get caught. And over time, they change. I only met Beth once over, one, over the course of several days. And I remember this talk. We were walking, and I asked her about this. Why do you do this? And she said, and she knew what I was asking. And she told me stories about varying different times when she wanted to quit. And she looked at me, and I still remember, just like yesterday. If you'll ever obey Jesus like this, you'll walk with him so closely. You'll know Jesus. You'll walk with him so closely. And I looked into her and I said, that I want. One more person that has influenced me, not personally. Um, you might have heard of her. Her name is Mother Teresa. Um, I read an article about her interview in Time magazine. Secular journalist asking her, why do you do this? Taking care of the, the most desperately poor of Calcutta. And she says, I take these people in, and I love them. Some of them die right in my arms. But while I'm doing this, 
I know I'm loving my Jesus. Wow. She knows the secret. We're loving Jesus. I know some of the people, you know, Jesus was throwing you uh, a layup. The sinners that come into this dinner party, they are a little easier to love. They're not quite as broken, or at least not so obvious. Actually, some of them are very broken. But it's Jesus. Let me close with a quote from a book that I like. It's called Rumors from Another World, written by famous Christian author, Philip Yancey. I'm close with this thing that he says. Yancey, throughout his career, has met a lot of different people who have followed Jason lots of different ways. He's met rich people, he's met poor people, powerful people, successful people, people who work in the deepest, darkest trenches, people who have gone through unspeakably hard sufferings. And um, it's one of the few things, this is one of the things he says I'd like to leave you with. I have learned that when I choose to follow Jesus in ways large or small, what seems like a sacrifice actually turns into a benefit. I am the one who benefits. When I swallow my pride and apologize to someone I've wronged, I feel a flood of relief. When I give anonymously as Jesus commanded, I experience more satisfaction. When I resist temptation and invest instead in the hard work of marriage, I gain. As Merton, some of you may have heard of Thomas Merton, expressed it, this is incredible, listen to this. The gift of ourselves in total submission to God is a sacrifice in which, far from losing anything, we gain everything and recover in a more perfect mode of possession even what we seem to have lost. For at the very moment when we give ourselves to God, God gives himself to us. The Gospels repeat one statement by Jesus more than any other. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will find it. I ask myself, how do I lose my life for Jesus' sake? That's what we're talking about today. This is what Yancey said. I do not live in a monastery, and I experience no real persecution for my faith. I can only apply this principle of losing my life for Jesus' sake in far less dramatic ways, in mundane acts of self-denial. For me, that has meant several hundred, which really actually should be several thousand, but honestly it's just several hundred, incidents of willingly giving up my own desires for those of my wife. It has included uncomfortable acts, such as seeking out a sick, whining friend in a hospital. It has meant spending time with emotionally needy people who want to ramble while I want to get work done. Or look on my cell phone, as I would say today. Look on my smartphone. It has meant a constant scrutiny of my use of money. Even so, 
Jesus is not calling me to do these things with a resigned sense of duty. There's that word. Rather, his statement contains the paradoxical suggestion that if we lose our lives for his sake, to welcome him, we will find them in the very process of losing them. That is the pattern I see demonstrated on large scale by saints. I've seen it too. I see it when what Mother Teresa said, and my mom, and Beth Kid, and many, many Christians, tireless Christians who will never be famous. But Jesus will say, You have welcomed me. I've seen it again and again. And that could be you. That could be me. So let's throw the sinner's dinner party and welcome Jesus. Whether there's a thousand people in this church or 50 or so, when Jesus comes and we welcome him, it'll be great. Let's pray. Jesus, we welcome you. This is such an incredible seed to plant of the gospel. The gospel calls us to lose our lives in Christ and we'll gain it. And now, from your word, I'm calling New Hope Church for people to lose their life, not just on Sunday morning, but when they're hanging out with one of their brothers and sisters and their brother and sister bites them and lets them down. When they reach out to someone who seems strange who comes into our community, that they may meet you, Jesus. We may meet you. We welcome you, Jesus. Would you come into our community? Would you come in the form of hurting people, shameful people, imprisoned people, pessimistic people, biting people? Would you come? Would you send your spirit We sure ain't no Beth kid. I'm not my mom. But this is what you do when you come. When we will stop being Simon and we'll go to our knees and we'll break our alabaster flats and welcome you. What a crazy and astonishing God that you are. And beyond money or success or comfort and all the ways that we try to construct our own little kingdoms and our own little heavens, would you break all that and show something so much bigger? And let in 2014, we would look back and say, New Hope Church became something new. It became the church. It became a sinner's dinner party. That's what we asked for, Jesus. We cannot do this. We are Simon. <laughs> We are her. But will you love us? And will your spirit resonate in our minds and help us to believe and live between the world of Luke chapter 7 and Matthew 25? We live in that world and welcome you 
into this dinner party that we call New Hope Church. Would you do this in us, Lord? Would you do this in us? And make us this joyful, humble, strange place called New Hope Church. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray to him. Go to him. Welcome him. Respond to him.